Welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show, and on this episode I'm talking to Colette Hennigan. So it has been quite a hectic few days for me with the launch of the book WorkFuel, more of which in a moment. Also finalising the first draft with Hayley Watts for the next book, which is about meetings. So we're kind of at that slightly uh, let's get a first draft out there for people to look at sort of stage um, tentatively. It's coming along quite well. It's one of those where right now I'm not kind of feeling it. I'm not kind of feeling like I've I've nailed it. And there will be, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion that having done four books now, like I can trust the process a little bit. And I know that at some point I'll be like, yeah, I'm nailing it now. But right now it just doesn't quite feel like it's quite fitting together, but it will come. And at the same time as writing that book and also preparing to head off at the end of March, some away for uh, about 10 or 11 days at the end of March to go and watch some baseball, which is going to be my first proper break, really, um, since last summer, I realised the other day when I really sat down and looked at it because I didn't really have a, a huge break at Christmas, what with childcare and few other bits and pieces so um yeah it's gonna be my first chance to really switch off and put an out of office on my email which I think I can still remember where the button is for that and um yeah really looking forward to that but it feels like there's always a kind of rally of stuff to do uh, before that and one of those things has been to launch this book work fuel so Colette is my guest for the show really special episode I've been waiting to do this one for quite a long time and Colette's been saying when am I going to be on beyond busy and I've said and I kept saying to her let's do it when the book comes out and coincidentally, this conversation is also available on Colette's new podcast, which is also called Work Fuel. Um, so you can find that if you want to do a little search in your podcast app of choice for Work Fuel, then you'll find Colette's podcast on there. The first episode is just the same as this one, basically. So you don't need to listen to both. Uh, it's going to be the same conversation. Uh, but it will be good for you to be subscribed to that stream and to get more of what Colette's doing if you like this episode. Um, so this is a, a conversation where we're talking about the book. We talk about how the book came about. I tell my story of how Colette has really changed my life in terms of nutrition. And I'm, I'm not even saying that lightly. Um, just made a, a phenomenal difference to the level of energy that I have and the way that I think about food. And just my whole lifestyle really has changed a lot since working with Colette. So you're going to hear a bit more about how that happened, the background to all of that what it was like working with me on a book and uh, quite a lot of other stuff. So let's get into it. This is the conversation with myself and Colette Hennigan. So grab yourself, I was going to say grab yourself a coffee, grab yourself a decaf coffee and some blueberries and some uh, some overnight oats if you've got them and all that kind of stuff. And uh, let's celebrate the launch of our book, Work Fuel. Here we go. Okay, we are live. It's Graham Alcott and Colette Hennigan. And we're hanging out really to celebrate the launch of our book, Work Fuel, which is very exciting. And it feels like a fitting moment to do that as we're recording this with my front room full of boxes of the book using my uh, author discount, ready to go out to lots of friends and contacts and things like that. So it feels like we've got this. Uh, uh, this this lovely product that we've created that is sat here poised to go out into the world as it is uh, right now as you're listening to this. Absolutely. Really exciting time to have the physical book and uh, be so close to, to lift off. So, yeah, it's great. 
Um, so it's been it's been a fun project um, and a really rewarding one, and it's uh, taken quite a long time to come to fruition. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit further down the track in this conversation as well. But it pretty feels like a good place to start would be how we both got into the whole thinking about food and nutrition and how that can power our productivity. Mm-hmm. And I sort of come into the story a little bit later. So let's start with with your own story, Colette. So how did you first start thinking about the food that we eat and how it affects our work? Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity to just kind of introduce this um, at this point. Um, So yeah, I mean, my journey started uh, probably around 10 years ago, maybe a bit more. And uh, at that point, I was working for a large global telecoms company, working in the sales arena, managing a team, and, and, and demanding accounts within there. So demanding clients, big target, uh, traveling a lot. And food was very much an afterthought. You know, it wasn't something that was anywhere near my agenda, let alone top of it. And, you know, I would literally run on days like, you know, having a fast breakfast, which is something generally from a packet and just pouring it into a bowl, something along those lines. And that's if I had breakfast. And then lunch would kind of feature intermittently, shall we say. So sometimes it was there, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes I'd get to 4pm and go, oh my goodness, I haven't eaten yet. Or I would just kind of grab it on the run um, as I was going through a train station or airport or at the office and just take it into meetings with me. So be kind of managing and steering e- meetings with one arm and then with the other kind of stuffing a sandwich into my mouth. So that was kind of the working day. Um, and the issues kind of came, were compounded, shall we say, when I got home, because by the time I'd get home, I'd be quite tired and I was uh, then not really feeling the mood for cooking, you know, a cordon bleu meal for myself or anyone else for that matter. And so I'd just be looking for convenience at that point. And often I wouldn't have much in the fridge. So perhaps I would have grabbed something on the way home that I can heat up or um, kind of try and cobble something together. But I think the main thing for me was that um, nutrition was an afterthought and uh, I started to feel the consequences really um, of, of living that way. And so very sort of fast, instant lifestyle. What were the consequences? What what started to uh, feel like it was affected by how you were living? Yeah, so I'd, I, I, immediately I, I didn't make the link. You know, I didn't kind of think that, oh, the reason I can't concentrate on this task is because I haven't eaten for hours or, you know, I've not actually had a glass of water today. I didn't make the link between the two things. But I guess that the key symptoms now on reflection was the fact that I couldn't concentrate for a long period of time. I would often find myself in meetings, you know, kind of flicking off into another land or thinking about something else. Um, and so my concentration spans are quite low. And, and then my energy was fluctuating. So I'd be a bit of a roller coaster. So at some points I'd have energy, maybe just after a coffee. And then, and then I'd be found myself in a real lull. And I literally had uh, a bit of a, um, a deal with one of my friends that was in the team as well. And if we were in meetings, uh, we would f- especially kind of darken meetings because you're watching a presentation or there's no natural light and that kind of thing. So darkened meeting rooms. But um, 
I would, we would like kind of jab each other with a pen to keep ourselves awake. Um, and this used to happen quite often. Um, and, and we weren't the only ones as well, you know, there was other people in the room that were also nodding off. And so it was, it was, you could see that other people were tired too, because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out because people often look tired as well. Um, so tiredness for me was, was one and the other was this lack of concentration. Um, and then the tiredness started to affect my social life. So I was kind of cancelling personal things in the evenings or weekends just because I needed to recoup and, and rest. Um, and I just felt like I didn't necessarily have the energy for those things. And I think it's a really easy cycle to get into. I know that in the first few years of, of my career, I think the other thing is when you're in a new organization and when, when you're in a job that you feel like you need to prove yourself and you really feel like, you know, you've got big targets to hit and all that sort of stuff. I remember I used to run down the corridor from like meeting to meeting because it's like, I don't want to waste the three minutes that it would take me if I walked, you know, and just like, yeah, just things like that. And so food just feels like this thing that you just grab. And I used to eat all those Ginsters packet sandwiches and, you know, just probably stuff that's on reflection is really bad, but it does feel like, and particularly when you're in the, those early stages of the career where it's like, everything's new, it's work hard, play hard. You have naturally more energy. So you feel like you can maybe sort of abuse your body a little, a little bit more as well. Right. Like you feel like you don't have to think about it so much. It's very tempting. Yeah. And I, and I think you've, you've, you've hit on another point there as well. I used to kind of accept the meetings that were back to back. Cause if I had a gap, then surely I need to be like hyperproductive and fill it with another meeting. And it did mean that you were, you, you know, you were constantly chasing the tail because, um, meetings always have a tendency to, to kind of fill the time they've allocated or, or overrun, um, which means you're late for the next one. So you just felt really bad being even later, you know, trying to get some food and, and delaying the start yeah, of that meeting. Absolutely. Um, so, and so, and also I just didn't prioritize it, you know, and, um, and so this, it started to take a toll on me personally. And those were the initial signs, but then it kind of worsened with things like I just wasn't sleeping as well. I found that I put on weight. Um, you know, I just found that, that my mood was lower. And, and so those things combined um, were, were kind of the trigger for me to, to make some changes. And was there like a sort of particular light bulb moment where you just decided to, to sort of make radical change to how you ate and how you kind of supported yourself? Yeah, I think the the kind of, it, uh, rather than light bulb, it was like a bolt of lightning <laughs> <laughs> that hit me. And I remember being in uh, presenting um, a particular uh, kind of client environment and I, I got a pain across my chest that I'd never really experienced before. I was only, you know, in my late 20s. I wasn't, um, I hadn't been doing it for 30 years and, uh, and, and I didn't really know what it was at that point. I now know that, that I was having a panic attack, but I do realize that, the things that had contributed to that was the fact that I hadn't slept very well the night before. Um, I'd been burning the candle literally at both ends and I hadn't been well, you know, eating well for weeks leading up to it. So I could blame it on that like high intense kind of environment, but actually it was all of the cumulative effect leading up to that moment that, that uh, put me in that position you know, so I was probably starving at that point, hyperglycemic, you know, so low blood sugar levels, just had a crash. And then you know, presenting in such a, a high pressure environment, uh, it's just not the cocktail for success, basically. And I think that bolt of lightning was exactly what I needed because it made me really reflect on the things that I was doing 
Um, and I went off on a bit of a personal mission to go and say, well, what do I need to do to make this better? And that's really where it all started. Yeah. And then I met you, we were doing um, a big client wellness day, weren't we, where you were doing the nutrition side of it. I was doing the productivity side of it. And um, we had a, a mutual friend, Rob Geraghty, who's actually been on uh, on my podcast before. And um, he had kind of, in the initial um, meeting, kind of introduced us and got us both into that project. I think it was like you, you and him were both working on it together, weren't you? And um, that's where we first met. So you, by that stage, were much more kind of walking the talk. You were eating really well. You were feeling much better. You'd had a bit of a kind of revolution within yourself and were then teaching others how to go about doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that was our first kind of uh, engagement together. Uh, but I did meet you at your book launch. So that was where I got the inspiration of potentially working together because I felt that productivity had such a fit into the work that I was doing. Yeah. So like I say, long story short, um, I, uh, I went off on a different direction and actually resigned from my role. And I went back to uni. So I retrained in this area of health, lifestyle, nutrition, another undergraduate qualification and, and a master's in it. And and then I'd, at the point when you and I started to work together, I'd already set up my company, Optum Living. And so, yeah, so we collaborated on that particular delivery for the client, um, which was great because it brought both of our kind of um, expertise together. And I, and I think that's why we, we carried on. For sure. And so you've been doing this work for a number of years. And then mm -hmm. I suppose the next part of the story was, was me uh mm -hmm. phoning you up basically and saying i need your help I, <laughs> I need i need more energy and i think you can help fix me uh and and so then i started to become uh one i guess one of your mentees really uh, so so we kind of you did uh, i engaged you to coach me basically over a period of time to mm -hmm. uh, to look at what i was eating and and so on so can you remember what i think the first thing that we did around that was you uh, asked me to fill in a food diary. What were your, did. what were your impressions of my food diary? Do you remember? Yeah. So, um, I think that's a quite an interesting question, actually. It was, um, uh, very kind of one dimensional, um, and kind of, I could have just used a handful of colors to, to color it all in if I needed to. Um, uh, so it was, it kind of like lacked adventure and diversity and there was a lot of repetition in, in your initial food diary and a bit of kind of irregularity too. But I'd like to pose a question back to you actually, before we get into that, that next step, that next kind of step that we took and say, why did you engage me? You know, what was it that there was a compelling moment and you thought, you know, I actually want to work with Colette directly oh, sure. um, yeah, yeah, what was yeah. it uh, so I, th I, I was going to come back and talk about this later. I wasn't glossing over it but so the <laughs> the thing for me was so obviously I'd been practicing what I preach around productivity for a number of years and I felt like I was doing everything right but I felt like I was still getting to the end of days and at you know maybe sort of 3 4 p.m feeling quite tired and just not feeling like I had the kind of stamina um, and then I had a particular period of time where I, I basically got diagnosed with depression. I don't know how long really I'd had depression for. And I think I, mm -hmm. I'm someone who definitely suffers through the winter months. I th like, 
I'm very sensitive, I think, to, to vitamin D. Like it, and I don't, I've never had it diagnosed as seasonal affective disorder, but I think I have that. Mm-hmm. So in the summer months, I feel like I've got more energy. In the winter months, I feel very, very sluggish. And I, I could have, you know, a few years ago, I was having periods where I would, there'd be several days in a month where I might get out of bed and just think, no, not today. And, you know, just, just be very low and very, very low on energy and, and kind of, kind of slumping around the house and that kind of thing. Um, so it was a big problem for me and I got diagnosed with depression. I was on antidepressants and then I'd taken a decision. I'd gone away to Goa, which I quite often would do in the winter months. And I'd sort of taken this decision. I was doing yoga every day. I was exercising. I was eating well. And it was like, right, I'm going to throw everything I can at this in order to sort of beat this depression and to come off the medication that I was on and all that sort of thing. So that was probably for me, the, the big, uh, light bulb moment or light lightning bolts probably is more of a fair description of that one too. And, and just kind of reaching out to you and saying, Hey, help. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that was the moment. Cause you, you, you kind of had, um, some, respite I guess from how you were feeling whilst being on holiday um and having that break in Goa and I remember having a conversation was well, but how do we do this in real yeah, life yeah. you know how do I continue this so yeah so we started off and I said well I need to know where you're at now so we obviously did like a a proper first consultation try and find out all of that gritty detail and and then you filled in that lovely food diary for me um which, which I still have, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have it. <laughs> Treasured. <laughs> it's a printout in my office. No, no it's not. Framed. Um, what not to do, yeah. <laughs> no, um, absolutely. So, so I think that's kind of where it started for us working together. And then from there, we kind of um, built a way of, of working and for me to support you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how we did that. Yeah. So, I mean, the main bit that I found very helpful, we did some Skype calls around this, but the the main crux of it, I guess, was me taking photos of every meal and then sending them to you on WhatsApp. And (laughs) I think I was quite skeptical when we first thought of that as a, as a sort of coaching model, but I think it had a couple of really nice effects. The first was it made me really mindful of, okay, if I'm going to have another two glasses of wine this evening, then I have to send photos of those to Colette. And like, you know, there's a kind of, (laughs) there's a kind of natural uh, sort of accountability that develops out of that, which definitely just reinforced the good habits and and helped to sort of cut out some of the bad ones. Um, So that was great. And then I think the other thing that was really useful about it is that it allowed you to offer really practical little tips and tricks for things I could do. So it would be things like, you know, you'd say, that's a great meal, but like maybe chuck some sauerkraut onto the side of that or throw some nuts into there or like just little things that would not really take more than a few extra seconds of preparation, but would actually just transform a meal and upgrade a meal from being, you know, one level of, of nutrition to being, you know, a much greater level of nutrition. And there, there was a lot of other stuff that we did as well. I think the the work that we did to sort of identify good vitamins and minerals and and some of that stuff. And particularly for me, one of the big insights was around the conversation that we were having around adrenal function. And, you know, coming back to your thing about Mm -hmm. the presentation that you're doing and having that panic attack, like adrenaline is a wonderful thing in the human body, right? Like it allows us when we've not been putting the work in with the right nutrition and stuff to, to really kind of get through 
the pressured situations feeling really alert and on form. But of course, the consequence of that is that you have that adrenal crash. And I think you'd really recognize that for me, that was something that's happening a lot. And I think that was a really helpful Mm -hmm. part of the process as well was those conversations we were having sort of in and around the WhatsApp groups to kind of determine some of those things that I particularly needed to work on. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that's something that a lot of people can, can relate to in our, you know, current business world is that we rely a lot on these adrenals, which is, you know, a a stress function and uh, we absolutely need um, them there. And and a bit of of adrenaline and a bit of stress is all part of being human. But the issue is, is when we call upon them for all of our kind of energy all of the time um and these guys really need the rest and the reason i could recognize it in you wasn't just my studies was because i'd seen all those things in myself retrospectively but uh, i'd seen those things in myself and uh knew the path to to kind of rebuild them um and so and so tell us then graham what did you feel you know in terms of this you started on a new kind of approach to food and lifestyle and what did uh, you kind of glean from it what what were the benefits well i think it's interesting because at the time i felt like it had this really transformative effect and i think now that's just become my new normal so now i just i just operate on a on a higher level of energy generally and that's just the default for me so i i start to notice that now the other way where if I start eating badly for a couple of days or something, or even just a couple of meals, I start to think, oh, right, yeah, I, this is why I feel a little bit more sluggish now or a little bit more tired. But at the time, when I had very low energy, you know, particularly just for me, like starting the day with a really good breakfast, being mindful about what I was eating for lunch, um, I remember you said something really that, that kind of, you know, it, it, it transformed how I thought about food, really. You just said, I think there was a there was a day where I I sort of sent you a photo of something that was a bit uh, half-assed and not very nutritious, <laughs> and you know I then followed it with an excuse like oh well you know I've been really busy and I haven't been shopping or whatever and you know this is this is all I've got sort of thing and and you just sent me about this one liner that just said well you eat well when you've got good stuff in your fridge and I was like oh okay so it's actually about how I think ahead and prepare and all of that sort of thing and that's going to help me get there. But yeah, I really just started to notice much more energy. I was, I just had much better moods and it just felt to me like a very nourishing thing that I was doing and really kind of helped me to come out of that, that sort of period of depression and very low energy, um, just feeling really good again. And, and yeah, so, so from that point of view, it, for me, it was something that I really wanted to share with as many people as possible. I was really annoying all my friends talking about it at the time, just boring <laughs> them with all this stuff. But like, it really felt like <laughs> this is something that if we could capture this in a book, then that would be a really great thing. But yeah, it was just this huge kind of burst of energy. Yeah. And I, I just think it's so brilliant that you just normalized that level of energy now, Yeah, you know? So, and, and, and I think you know, you know, we've written about it in the book, which we'll move on to in a moment, but, you know, this stuff really does feed itself, excuse the pun, you know, you do a little bit, you feel so much better and you don't want to go back to your old normal. You, you want to kind of carry on on the journey and, uh, and that's where you, the motivation comes from because you do feel, feel those differences. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be too complicated or difficult, but it, it, it is like on a trajectory, you're a bit, you know, you're progressing as you go through it. Um, 
but it's always like a small thing that you can do today. And I think that's what we focused on at the start was let's just do three things for the next two weeks. Um, and these are the things that you can do. So it's kind of about breaking them down and making it much more kind of evolutionary rather than this transformational kind of completely change your life in a, in 12 hours kind of approach. For sure. And I think, you know, we talked about this in the book. So in the book, we have the nine essentials of the work fuel way. And one of them is about consistency being something to value over the idea of intensity. And I think that really resonated with me just in, in the way you were coaching me as well, because I think it can be very easy to jump into whether it's slimming world or a ketone diet or paleo or five, two or whatever, you know, and to have this very big sort of transformative, you know, sort of reaction, which is to, which is to sort of jump both feet into what can often be quite an unsustainable lifestyle, right? Like it's really hard to keep up Mm -hmm. a, a fasting diet or a ketone diet or whatever. It is, And so I think, the way you explained it to me was actually, if you just consistently eat really well, then the great thing about that is you can have, you know, you can have a meal where you don't necessarily eat something that's healthy or you can skip a meal here and there or like things can happen that actually will not be the end of the world if you're just generally and consistently eating good stuff and you can have a chocolate bar occasionally right and you can kind of have some of the stuff that you that you really like it's not about being um a martyr around these things or or being too puritan about it either yeah absolutely um the tortoise beat the hare as we say um there's these small things that you you can tweak and they, and they don't take a massive investment because one of the biggest barriers to the work that I do is people just say I don't have time yeah you know I just don't have time for that and and I think kind of what we you know we try to demonstrate by working together and bringing your productivity skills and uh you know the the kind of common sense approach from my my um kind of nutrition understanding was just really that you don't need loads of time and it's just about kind of that preparedness a bit of kind of planning up front and then before before um you even realize it's just what you do yeah versus you know um you're having to be so aware every time you go to a restaurant that they may not have what you can eat or that you're going to a family dinner and again they may not have what you can eat because you're on this really kind of strict regime so there's definitely um you know, things that we can, we could be doing, uh, that are very small, but have such a sustainable and long lasting effect. So let's talk about ninja preparedness a little bit then, because I think, please, yeah, that'd I think be great. that was um, yeah. probably one of the conversations that we were having where it became very clear that there was such an overlap between what you were doing and, and, and productivity ninja. And it just kind of felt like, ah, all these themes are kind of similar. So just as an example right now is I cooked, I cooked a, a veggie curry last night and I have nextovers. Nice. So in my fridge to have for lunch is is the next nextovers from that. <laughs> I'd never heard of nextovers before. Do you want to just briefly explain what that is for anyone who hasn't quite got the pun? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's basically uh, being more strategic about leftovers. So leftovers kind of ha- just happen if you just don't finish uh, the end of a dish or something that you've made. Whereas next over, as you say, right, okay, how many carrots can I bother cooking? 
you know, cut in in order to make this dish even more padded out so I can have another three meals afterwards and not just carrots, but obviously mushrooms or some extra piece of fish that you could maybe throw in the oven at the same time or a sweet potato. But just thinking about kind of, you know, what's the next meal that's coming up? What's next? Um, as you're chopping, because you've already got the chopping yeah. board out by that point and the knife and the stuff out the fridge that you can just wash on mass and, and chop up and throw in a big pan. The other one that I really liked that, that you taught me is like if, if you're putting like a fish pie in the on one shelf of the oven or whatever, so you've got a whole shelf of the oven that's got nothing cooking on it. So you taught me the thing about just like cut up a butternut squash and put it in a tray and then put some oil on it. And then you can then use that to throw into salads and to kind of have as little kind of half portions of stuff for the rest of the week. And to me, like the geeky efficiency head part of me loves the idea that like, okay, if I'm going to pay to heat up the oven, I may as well get full value out of that, right? So, so I just get this real kind of like, uh, you know, little geeky bars out of doing that that kind of thing. But yeah, like it's this whole thing of, you know, if you're going to put the effort in, then you may as well, with any, I think with any meal, you know, you may as well make six portions or eight portions rather than one or two. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you can bag those up and you've got, you know, really nice, like you know simple meals that take a few minutes to just like whack in the oven or whack in a pan or whatever and and kind of defrost them later yeah yeah that's it and you know that little trick of the butternut squash could easily be a sweet potato a courgette uh, an aubergine and you can you don't even need to chop these up yeah i'm talking about putting whole foods in so because obviously once they're cooked they're very easily just to chop and again like you say throw into a salad or even blend the next day with some stock and you've got a veggie soup and you suddenly seem like you're brilliant at this stuff but actually it's just all about that forethought like future gifts to to ourselves as we kind of put it um you know so if you're coming home late and you've got a fresh soup in the in the in the fridge to go or a chili that you made last night. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that is absolutely. like the best feeling, you know, you're tired and there's just like no chance that you're going to bother getting the chopping board out, but you just need to throw something in a pan and it tastes really good. And it's just going to like top off that day, you know, in a much better way than what you would have done if um, you wouldn't have created that for yourself. Absolutely. And for people listening to this who are, you know, maybe on the move quite a lot, sort of not, cooking at home but relying on hotel food and restaurant food and and that's sort of, you know and the marks and spencers and and sort of tesco sandwich shops and stuff what would you what would you give them as advice around preparedness how can they make some of those meals better just with a bit more extra uh, sort of strategic thinking around it yeah so this is like moving away from you know you don't, you don't have to be perfect with these things so even if you've you know bought something you've put it in the oven out of a box and you could buy a box of tomatoes and then just chop a few and put it on the side that's an upgrade uh, maybe you could buy a bag of greens so that you know salad greens and you could just empty the bag out and put your box dish on top of it um And it's just like the small things like that. Maybe when you're picking up lunch and you can only got time to grab a sandwich and those days happen to all of us at different points. So completely understand this and you only have that time, but there's also a fruit bowl there that you could grab an apple and a banana or something for your kind of sandwich rather than the bag of just crisps. Um, And so you just start to bolster your diet just by doing small upgrades like that. And and, and, and making it simple for yourself. So wherever you are, you can start today. My favorite one as well, which is which is in the book, is so now whenever I fly, thanks to you, 
I always have at least one avocado in my hand luggage and probably a bag of nuts as well. And the avocado is great because if I'm on a if I'm on a long haul, I will order the vegetarian um, Hindu meal usually or Indian vegetarian, whichever it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason being is you tend to find, I don't really like mushrooms. You tend to find the, the, the British vegetarian stuff is all just like horrible fried mushrooms and, you know, horrible stuff. Whereas like, I know I'll always get a good veggie curry if I get the in- Indian vegetarian or Hindu, <laughs> Hindu vegetarian. So I'll order that, but then I'll pull out this avocado and then with the plastic knife, just kind of scoop all the avocado out and just put that on the side. So, you know, there might be loads of salt and loads of fat within that meal. And it's kind of unavoidable really on a plane, unless you're going to bring your own, which you might want to talk about in a minute, (laughs) but to be able to just upgrade that with some nuts and avocado and stuff that I know is a bit more fresh and I know it's a bit more work fuel-y, um, just really feels like a good, uh, upgrade and also just feels like it, you know, it doesn't really now take me any time. It's just, it's almost just ingrained as when I'm packing, it's like, right, what am, what food am I going to chuck in the bag as well as thinking about, have I got my headphones and all that sort of thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It just becomes part of what you do. And, and for me, it's obviously the top of my agenda. Um, but I love that you travel with your avocado, just like I do, you know, get it out in my tray and chop it up into whatever I've been given, whatever meal. And I always try to order a special meal too. That's a very simple hack, shall we say, of the air, the airlines. You usually get something better Yeah. Um, yeah. when you do that. Although you don't, you don't often eat the plain food, do you? You quite often just have your own complete meal, don't you? Yeah, I, I, I tend to take more um, than, than just an avocado. So I always like take some chopped crudités, just like carrots, celery, cucumbers, maybe some hummus um, to go on top of those, the avocados, some little pack of oat cakes, um, some fresh fruit, an empty water bottle that I can then fill up at different points, you know, just before, after going through security, a big one. So I've got lots of fluid on the, on the flight. Um, and that's when I can, you know, so yeah. I, I do a lot of business trips and sometimes I, I'm not starting from home. So then it's a different story, but still the water bottles with me, um, I'll try to, I would have tried to steal stuff from uh, for breakfast <laughs> you know I got really caught out a little while ago I was going from the US to Canada and I think I got three avocados for a dollar or something somewhere in New like you know these like little market <laughs> stores you see like uh in New York so I, I got one of those and then uh I think I'd eaten one or two of them but basically I got to the Canadian border and you know, there's like the list of the stuff that you're not allowed and it's like fresh fruit and vegetables and whatever. And I was like, oh no. And something just felt really painful about the idea of throwing this avocado away. <laughs> but and so, but also, I, it also felt even more painful, the idea of breaking the law and being thrown in a jail cell and all, all, the, <laughs> all the panic that you tell yourself. So I ended up having to throw this avocado just in a bin when I got to the border thing. And it just felt like just such a tragic thing to have to be doing. <laughs> so I'm going to definitely... Be attached um, to this travel food. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, I think you just think how much, uh, you know, sort of care has been taken to grow that avocado and sort of put it in the supermarket and then for me to buy it. And, you know, it just, it feels like something that you shouldn't just waste. Like, I hate wasting food generally, but yeah, it just kind of felt like something that was really... Uh, not a nice thing to have to be doing, but having learned that lesson now, I think I'll be uh, much better prepared for that. Yeah. I, th- I think I probably broken the law a few times <laughs> by that. The other one is I had a big <laughs> bag of nuts and it had to, I think 
maybe this is why I did that with the avocado is the time before I had a big bag of, bag of nuts and I had, I did declare it. And then I had to wait around for so long while they put my whole bag through a whole nother thing <laughs> just for the sake of this little bag of nuts. And I was like, Oh, for goodness sake, you know? So I think maybe that had influenced um, avocado gate as well. Yeah, I'd say <laughs> so. Yeah. You didn't want to repeat that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's next time eat them. Before you, before you get to that point, is the uh... yeah. Well, I'd, I'd done pretty well. I'd eaten, I think, two out of three, but it was just the last one. Mm. Um, so let's talk about the book. So this is my first time co-authoring a book, and your first time writing a book. Mm. So, uh, how was it for you? <laughs> Um, well, it was quite a journey as well and uh, very new to to my work because most of my work these days, I deliver uh, wellness and nutrition workshops and masterclasses and within a kind of business environment. So I go into the workplace and, and coach employees directly at work about how these things can influence their lives. And so I do a lot of talking, basically, um, and not a lot of writing. <laughs> so, so I'm quite a good talker. There, there, there was definitely weeks through the writing process where that was also the case. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. So what I actually ended up doing was talking <laughs> into my phone about what I'd like to write about and then mm. playing it back to myself and writing it. So um, that was part of my transition phase into being able to put into words the, the work that I was doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, I even, actually recorded a whole workshop that I delivered uh so I had like you know my the the things that I was saying and the kind of questions that were being asked because uh, suddenly as I had to put pen to paper well finger to key kind of thing um my mind would go blank and I think oh I don't know anything about this <laughs> so um I'd have to go back to these recordings and say you know just look through them again and say actually I do and these are the questions that are repeatedly being asked and so these are what we need to be answering here in this book yeah so I think um you know that was our reason for writing it the two of us was that we felt that there wasn't necessarily a book for people that were looking to to access this knowledge in a very bite-sized way um that kind of really would impact their productivity in a short term but be able to practice for a lifetime and uh and so uh i think that's you know uh, our reason really for 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 sitting down in the first place and starting it so yeah it was a very great learning journey i guess how was it working working with me as a rookie as a rookie rookie (laughs) (laughs) so i think um so my ceo icon books philip had had convinced me that if I co-authored books, it would mean that I would spend half the time on a book. And, you know, I think he had this idea of, well, if we can get Graham co-authoring books, then we'll get more output from Graham and therefore we will make more money. Uh, I think that was his, his thought process. Uh, that was certainly yeah. that was certainly his sensible. persuasion process with me to sign a, a four-book deal at the time. But I think, for me, it ended up probably taking twice the time and that's not at all a, a sort of um, indictment on you. I think it just meant that every time we wanted to make changes to something or, you know, we wanted to make something happen, then we had to kind of talk about that between the three of us. So me and you and Ellen, our editor. And likewise, you know, if one person's working on a chapter, they have to work on it, then the other person has to read it. And so just there is, it just feel like there is more time 
like you know stop start all, isn't it like more collectively mm-hmm. all going into that process probably from ellen i don't know if ellen would say the same our editor but maybe she would um and I, although having said that the other thing that i would say is that I think it would be an even more laborious process if we spent a lot of time disagreeing, which we just didn't at all. I think it was mm-hmm. a very um, simple process in terms of how aligned we were. Quite miraculous, really. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think there was anything really where there was kind of huge sort of um, heated disagreement. I think the other thing we we set out quite clearly at the beginning was this idea um, that uh, we have a veto veto rule. So basically, if if either of us comes across something that we don't think should make the book, then we have the right to veto it, and we'll only put stuff in the book that we're both happy with. And I think um, that's the rule that I first came across from Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's uh, interviews around the office. I remember hearing Stephen Merchant talking about that and thinking, oh, that's really smart because it just takes away that sort of conflict of ideas and stuff. Yeah, and the emotion that comes with that, you know, because you can hang on to that for a long time. Um, And I think we had probably a few of those. And we probably used it, yeah, we used it once or twice. It wasn't many, but but there was a a few where that that came up, yeah. One was about microwaves. Do you remember that? (laughs) (laughs) So, so So my thing was, well you know, microwaves are a thing that I use and it feels like, you know, I try not to use them too much, but, and I don't ever buy sort of microwave meals, but I'll use them to like heat up porridge or something. Um, whereas you're like very anti-microwave. And and I, my argument was, well, busy people, they're going to use microwaves. Can't we just help them? And uh, you didn't think that was the right kind of thing to promote. Um, no. And, <laughs> And because of the veto rule, veto rule, it was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, and yeah, I don't think the book's any worse off for not having three sentences about microwaves in it. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking or say hoping that uh, when you say it was twice the time, but it was hopefully twice the fun because you had this interaction of somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I really, I loved working with you on it. And I think the other thing I was going to say is I I reckon there was um, a sort of the time where I'd written the first draft of the first chapter and shared it with you. So we'd done a couple of days together, hadn't we, where we were mm-hmm. just kind of brainstorming ideas and I was just kind of getting a bit of a download. Getting out the head. Yeah, I was trying to get a bit of a download out of your brain, really, of just, you know, tell me what's important here and what are we trying to get across. And then I went away and came up with the first chapter, which turned into the nine essentials of the work for your way. And I remember you maybe maybe WhatsApp voiced messaged me afterwards and said, oh man, this really captures it. And I was so excited that what we'd got there, you know, really kind of made sense and 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 you were excited about it. And that for me was quite a big moment because I think we, it allowed us to really nail the rest of the structure and kind of hang everything else um, on the right hooks off the back of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think that was like pivotal to getting the motivation going for both of us because you really distilled down all of my talking. We spent a whole day and I chatted a lot and you were just kind of, let's bring it back to that first point again, Colette. So, <laughs> can we just go through that? So why would that be important? You know? And I was like, oh, well, you know, and I go down all of these different rabbit holes as I do when I'm talking about things that I'm passionate about. We go, okay, let's move on from that one now. Okay, that's finished, Colette. And I think... That was one of my, that was one of my catchphrases, wasn't it? When, on, on the <laughs> It was just like that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're going to move on from that now, and yeah. Uh, and and yeah, and I think we had 
um, quite a lot at that time in terms of we, we we got it down to the nine essentials, which is what you encapsulated. But we had a number of points and what we actually really felt was that they could be pulled together because some were similar and that kind of thing. So it was just a really great process to to go through. And, and I think, you know, for anyone co-authoring a book, spending that those days together, starting with a blank sheet of paper, you know, it really was um yeah the way to do it were you very daunted by the idea of the blank page at the beginning i think it was more that uh i could i was doing all of the clever procrastination things and going down the rabbit holes a lot so <laughs> i'd think about a point i wanted to make but yeah. then i think oh no i need to substantiate that and so i'd go straight to to like clinical papers googling them or going into some of the reference sites that i have and and trying to find them on say for example hydration and then i'd spend a whole day on it and then i go i haven't written anything yet um, <laughs> so, so there was a, there was definitely yeah, yeah. um some scary moments like that and and then i think you know we 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 talked about well how do you eat an elephant and you just have to just keep on biting off little chunks and yeah, even if I've one only, bite at a time one bite yeah. at a time yeah and and I just write even if I could get a hundred words about hydration that's better than doing another um two hours of research and that mentality started to build uh, we were talking about the nine essentials of the work for your way do we just want to run through them really quickly yeah absolutely because that might be a good way just for people listening to this to just get really quick quick tips and tricks that obviously we'll expand on those more in the book. But if you are too busy to read the book right now, then here's some stuff that will help. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So the first one's be a fuelie. Um, and this might actually be worth saying that we definitely have, and I'd, I'd say I'm, I've kind of changed a little bit over the years, but like we have quite different approaches to food. So you're definitely a foodie. And you love food, you love the presentation of it, you love savoring it and all that. Whereas I've kind of always seen food as being more like, if I could take a pill, I would mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I don't know if you said to me now, would you have the pill? I don't know that I would actually. Oh, that's that's rev- revelatory. Thank you for saying that. Because I remember our very first conversation in our coaching, very early in our coaching days. And you just said, yeah. you know, this is how I think of food. If you could just give me a pill and I could avoid eating and I could just go straight back to work, that's what I want. And I was like, this is going to be hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think the overall idea of being a fuelie is that you can be a foodie or you can choose not to be a foodie and you don't care about food that much or whatever. But to sort of look through the lens as you look at food of nutrition and is this going to be good for me? Is this going to serve me? I think is it's not always the first thing that people think about with food. They think about, oh, that looks really mouthwatering or that's my favorite thing or that's going to be a nice warming comfort thing. Whereas people don't always think about is this actually going to serve me nutritionally and give me good energy? Absolutely. I think that's a mindset. You know, you start to shift the, 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 the kind of th- all your thing, all your thinking, um, when you think of, see it through that lens. Um, and the fact that you can all, there's always a chance to make an upgrade in, um, and I, I'd like someone to challenge me on that and say, no, I was in such an airport or at such an event and there was nothing I could do. Um, cause I'm sure I could find one. There's always some small tweak that we can make, um, and make that fuel just yeah, better for yeah. our brains and our bodies. 
Cool. Number two is lunch is not for wimps. Yeah. And this for me is something that I see so often in workplaces and especially if I'm arriving near lunchtime. Um, so many people just not taking lunch and by taking lunch, I mean, actually stopping what they're doing, getting away from their desk and sitting down with some food and intentionally and consciously eating it. And this has such, it has so much science around it as well. Um, and I think Graham, you know, from taking a break just from productivity terms, that's huge, isn't it? To step away in the middle of the day from what you're doing. For sure. You know, and I think just letting that kind of adrenal, uh, function, just relax and rest a little bit and just getting a different headspace and, and just relaxing that, that stress that is often going through our bodies, I think is a huge thing. And we also talk about the idea in the book that lunch is the most important mm-hmm. meal, right? Yeah. And so, so we, we, we kind of challenge the perspective that breakfast is the most important meal and say that that's probably likely to be the most important choice because it kind of sets the tone for the day. However, lunch, um, and the way which you eat that as well, not just what you eat is the most important meal. And we believe that that, you know, that is the truth for this. And the fact that so many people are missing that simple act in our, our modern working lives, you know, cause our, kind of work goes wherever we are on our smartphone, um, then uh, it really is a trick that people are missing out on for all them, the extra productivity, brain power that they would have in the afternoon for taking that time out. Because uh, as you said, you mentioned like the stress aspect um, and, uh, you know, the way we eat is just as important as the, the choice that we're making on the food itself. Our body biologically, we, we actually reacts differently to the food. It acts more efficiently when we're actually rested and away from the desk. And so you can process it, you can digest it a lot more effectively, take the energy from it. And the afternoon slump might be not what you ate, but the way you ate it. I honestly don't think I have an afternoon slump anymore. Like that's the thing that, you know, when I'm talking to people about what changes I've made and how it's impacted me, I don't, you know, I probably would get to 6 or 7 p.m. before I go, oh, I'm a bit tired now. And it's just, you know, I just feel like I'm totally fueled, like all through the day. Exactly. Um, that's probably the biggest, biggest change I've had. Yeah. I mean, we're not meant to be tired in the afternoon, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, number three and number four, let's do, let's do them together. So number three is my favorite one. <laughs> um, certainly, it's my favorite image. So all of these have images in the book. And number three is don't eat food with its own jingle. <laughs> and uh, number four is probably the counterbalance to that, which is eat the rainbow. So do you, do you want to talk about those two? <laughs> yeah. So uh, firstly, don't eat food with its own jingle. Uh, just just to, f- to put the image in your mind, in the book, we've actually got a, a little crisp, a little potato crisp with a face singing into a lollipop um, about marketing kind of messages. So that screen really likes that. Um, yeah. And, uh, this really, um, my golden rule here is if a food needs a whole marketing team and a PR company to convince you to, to eat it, then it's probably a load of crap, you know, and that's, uh, you know, it's not 100% true, but it's, it's a pretty good rule to live by. And, and the more that we're kind of, um, motivated by these advertisements and the colorful wrapping and the three for two and you know, two for one or whatever in the supermarket, we're being kind of marketed to and we're a victim of that. And these guys know what they're doing. They're clever with their tactics. And 
you know, this stuff is going to be stuff that's not made from plants, but is um, made in plants. And whatever nutritional advice you want to take, we, we know that plants are good for us. Um, so to be eating more of them. Yeah. And, and this stuff tends to have long shelf lives, lots of um, additives and preservatives and, and just so different from from real food. So yeah, if, if it needs a marketing team to convince you to eat it, it's probably not worth eating. And I'd say, uh, move on. Cause the, the humble little carrot or broccoli or tomato doesn't have a whole kind of team trying to market them, but they have such a story to tell and then eat the rainbow. Yeah. So then that leads on perfectly to eat the rainbow. Cause these guys are where you should be at eating single ingredient foods, you know, things like tomato. It's only got one ingredient. It is the ingredient. And, uh, you know, the more that you can pack your plate, in fact, we suggest half of your plate be rainbow foods at every, every meal, um, the, the more vibrant and vital you will feel. Because each one of these colors has like little presence for us, um, for our brains, for our growth, for our maintenance in our bodies. And yeah, so the more color we can add, the, the, the better. Absolutely. Um, number five is, label savvy and mm. um, what i loved about this one is um so there's we've we've talked about the idea of the five ingredient rule so when you start to see on the back of the ingredients uh, so if you look at a box of porridge organic porridge oats it will say organic porridge oats and that's the ingredients like there's one ingredient and that's it whereas lots of other breakfast cereals and other things that you look at you'll see all of these names like ammonium sulfate and E751 and titanium dioxide and all these things that are used in foods to give it a slightly different color or to make it last longer and all this kind of stuff that is just not good for us. So being really savvy about what's in food, I think is a huge thing. And also the thing that was probably slightly counterintuitive to me and has probably taken me a while after having worked with you, with you coaching me to kind of get over is just the idea of stop counting calories Mm -hmm. as well. I think, um, you know, when you really start to analyze it, calories are just a load of rubbish and, you know, they're not, they're a very blunt, uh, instrument to try and measure anything to do with food. So once you get away from that and start to, uh, start to really look at, um, eating using the work for your plate, like for me, it's quite difficult to overeat because you don't want to have, you know, tons and tons and tons of vegetables. But if you know you're eating really good stuff, then, you know, that's more important than counting calories. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, calories have, have a role they have, but it's a very kind of arbitrary role. Um, and it doesn't tell the full picture. And, and there's a, there's a real simple one where you don't have to be kind of, Uh, doing that which is just the colors you know that's like counting nutrients almost and that's what we encourage you to do around the explanation about the plate that we have which is essentially distilling all of these nutritional principles into a visual um which will be on on our website and obviously in the book so please uh, take a look and uh, this just makes it really easy to visualize uh what what it should look like versus having to you know measure all of these calories um and do you remember what calorie actually um is graham so a cal so my memory of it is that a calorie is the amount of energy that it takes to heat up a certain unit of water by one degree. That's it. Spot on. There you go. Look at that. 
a star student. This is where I, this is where I'm going to really struggle in all of the media <laughs> for this book because my brain does not retain like statistics and you know really solid piece of information like that. I'm bad enough with the productivity ninja book, which I've been talking about for five years, right? So like, so I'm kind of really dreading being put on the spot by interviewers and them asking me those kind of questions. So I'm quite pleased I did that one. Okay, yeah, you pass with flying colours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you think about that. You know, a unit of water by a single degree, and I think anyone would agree that we're a bit more complex than that. So we need to be a bit yeah, more clever and savvy than that. So yeah, so so stock count calories was definitely uh, a key key ethos within being label savvy. I guess the next two we've kind of done right. So ninja preparedness we've talked about, and um, we have. we've talked a bit about choosing consistency over intensity and not going for the sort of uh, the sort of fad diets and the flashy stuff, but just doing the simple things consistently and well. Yeah, and the ninja the ninja prepare just just to remind anyone is just that kind of you eat good food if you have good food in your fridge, you know, and um, not be spending our willpower at home. So if you've got good stuff there, you're going to eat it equally. Both Graham and I know that if we've got biscuits in the cupboard, we're going to eat that too. So um, do yourself a favor. Don't bring them in because they're going to be at the service station when you fill up the car. They're going to be the train station when you've got a train delay or the airport. And these are all the times when, um, you know, maybe we can't combat that willpower. But at least when we're in our little sanctuary, our homes, the good stuff is there ready to feed us and make us feel a whole lot better. That was a thing that really transformed things for me as well. The don't use your willpower at home thing. And we've got a whole chapter in the book that talks about habits and how to build good habits and, you know, looking not just at the sort of nutritional information here, but like, how can you turn that into something that you're going to make a really sustainable ongoing habit? Mm -hmm. And I remember when you said that to me, it was like, it's so obvious because I've done loads of work on, um, uh, you know, Roy Baumeister's stuff around willpower being a depleting resource and basically self-control being a muscle and, and all these things. And so there's some of the references to that in this book as well. But when you know that you have a depleting level of that resource of willpower every day, which we all have, and we're all making tons and tons of decisions every day that lead to decision fatigue, then it really makes sense to to really focus on not using up that willpower at home, keeping your home as a sanctuary that supports you to make really good decisions. And also, if you do have bad stuff at home, then you know don't have it in the path of least resi- resistance. So don't have the the biscuits right next to where you make a cup of tea, for example. Like really thinking about just how you support those kind of uh, almost unconscious choices and just habitual. Uh, you know, sort of movements towards the cupboard just because you happen to be there making a cup of tea and all those kind of things. The non-deliberate acts, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And and I think this transpires into business too. And it's like the the kind of Obama thing where he had just um, one suit that he bought kind of 10 of or, you know, and and the same shirt and a few, a few ties that he just kind of every single morning would not have to make a choice about what he's wearing. And I think also... Um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook does the same thing. He just wears the same white t-shirt and same jeans because we've got so many decisions to make all day that it's just kind of about simplifying some of the things that you have to do each day. And obviously we have to eat every morning. We have to eat when we come in from work. And, and, and so how can we kind of make that easier for ourselves? Yeah. Um, so Steve Jobs did that as well. And um, I found out recently, it actually goes back to Einstein was one of the first people right. that, that did this, where he would only have the same kind of jeans and the same kind of shirts and all this stuff. 
And someone asked him, you know, is it not boring to just have all the same things in your wardrobe rather than having, you know, different, different stuff to choose from? And why do you do that? And he said, I do this because I want to avoid option paralysis. <laughs> and I just love that phrase, option paralysis. Yeah, really and there is a bit of that, isn't there, with, with food as well. So. For sure. Okay, so we've got two more. We've got two more. Um, think neutral before beautiful. Mm, yeah, and uh, the kind of meaning behind that is that your food is your fuel and uh, we all need to eat. That's you know goes without saying. And it doesn't need to be on Instagram. So it doesn't need to be on Instagram. You, you're not... Um, always competing for the best looking meal competition, um, you know. And sometimes I think the uh, the you know, the best nutrition can be quite messy. And I talk about in that sort of little bit of the chapter about sometimes I make veggie curries that just look disgusting, <laughs> like they look a bit brown or whatever. But it's just food that I'm eating, and it doesn't need to be on Instagram, and it's giving me massive bang for my buck nutrition and i would much rather have you know more veggies in there more good ingredients in there you know i throw things like flaxseed into into curries and stuff like that and it's just like i'd rather have you know really strong nutrition than it look amazing Mm -hmm. and i think you said to me that after you know the, the sort of later images that i would send you on whatsapp when you were coaching me i was spending more time and attention on presentation than I was at the beginning. And so you kind of felt like I was starting to, to sort of recognize that presentation as well. But it's, but at the same time, it's not, it's not vital every meal, right? Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be your starting point. And it did your, you I mean, I, I still have all the photographs from those original, um, you know, WhatsApps that we had, which showed the building of them. Yeah. And so I think I remember like the first page, you know, the first few pictures were just kind of, it was thrown on the plate. And then, and then as it kind of evolved, uh, you know, it was kind of placed more and mm. maybe the colors were separated out. So you got even more <laughs> of a hit and I was thinking, Oh, I see. I see what's going on. Nice. Um, yes, but that's, doesn't have to be our starting point um and that may come it may not but ultimately your slightly smashed up avocado because you couldn't get it out of the skin on your salad is going to be just as neutral as the perfectly sliced one that you know god knows how they create these art pieces of artwork out of an avocado on instagram and um, it's going to just taste the same and so you know there really is uh just start doing it don't worry about that and it may come anyway absolutely and the last one is um an old favorite if you've read productivity ninja human not superhero and i feel like seeing as you tested me on uh, the calorie thing earlier <laughs> i should test you to articulate human not superhero <laughs> <laughs> oh <Uh-oh. laughs> um so yeah i think uh you know we are we are all humans um but we maybe have the potential to appear like superhumans if we're doing some of this stuff. Um, you know, cause we have all of this great skill and, uh, we kind of presenting the energy, maybe coming in into the office now is some next overs from, from the day before. Um, but ultimately it's just like forgiving yourself. And when things do derail, you know, it just doesn't go quite to plan that day, just going, okay, all right. So what can I have for dinner? you know, what's next and just being able to leave that behind and not beating ourselves up about it and, um, and really helping ourselves to, uh, to move on from it. Um, and the other thing about human, not superhero is kind of, um, kind of 
coming down to this internal battle that we sometimes face, um, you know, where we have a, an angel uh, on one shoulder, I think you said, and a devil on the other. Yeah. And uh, you said it, you see it as like the lazy scatterbrained you and the clever motivated you. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, 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 and they're both you. And, uh, you know, just being able to recognize that and giving yourself, you know, employing some of these, these points we've made are going to help that scatterbrain put one. Um, uh, cause the clever motivated one's got it down pat already, but you know, there's also another side of all of us, which is that lazy scatterbrain one, um, that we can just help along the way and keep, uh, within the lines or, you know, at least on the right light lines, um, when we are tired and, and don't have the, the willpower. Does that sum it up? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> and I think, um, with uh, the lazy scatterbrained you versus the clever motivated you thing, I think, you know, if I often look at it, when I go down the supermarket aisle that has the biscuits, if I just keep walking, I feel like that's the clever motivated me make, making one decision once and it saves the lazy scatterbrained me just having loads of biscuits in the fridge, in the cupboard that I'm going to just consume over the next few days or whatever, right? So just that one decision once is often the knockout punch. Yeah. Whereas the lazy scatterbrained you is often the kind of bad habits that will just keep just jab, jab, jabbing away. And, you know, it'll win the battle if you, um, if you don't uh, really sort of take control every now and again. Yeah. So making the most of when you've got that, that clever motivated you going on. Yeah. Um, we're just over the hour mark, Great. so um, we should probably uh, wrap up. Absolutely, yes, yeah. So let's let's bring it to a close. Um, and I think really just uh, to say at the end of here is that uh, the approach is an approach. It isn't a cookbook. It isn't a diet plan. But it is about you know bringing more zest and vitality to, to your life by doing these small things every day. And I'm really excited about what it can bring to people, and will be so so uh kind of delighted to just kind of see people using this yeah and yeah just to add to that i think it's um I, I think there's so much wisdom and advice packed into you know what is the the same price as two or three coffees depending on where you live basically and so i think being able to access that i'm, I'm just really excited about how accessible we're making that and i think i you know, obviously I had the budget myself to be able to do one-to-one coaching with Colette and maybe for a lot of people, they can access a nutritionist, but for a lot of people who can't, I think it's just, it's really amazing to just get this into people's hands. And like you say, um, it's not a diet book. It's not, it's not a kind of one size fits all plan, but it's giving you the tools to make better decisions, be label savvy and kind of change the way you think about food. So really excited to get it into people's hands. Yeah. And before we close, actually, I want to just ask you just as a a final comment, what is your one thing, you know, your one thing that's like the biggest work fuel go to for, for Graham that's made the difference? that you now just don't negotiate on, you know, it's non-negotiable for you. Well, the big thing that's non-negotiable now that I definitely would have been more flexible with in the past is probably breakfast. And so starting the Mm -hmm. day by setting the scene and having a really good uh, breakfast routine. um, For me, that was, that was, I could easily fly out the door and go to London on the train on an empty stomach before. And now I just don't. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my days are, you know, eggs and toast or avocado on toast. And a lot of my days are porridge, you know, I'm eating really good breakfast as well. But I think for me, that's the most important thing is, is just starting the day, setting the scene uh, in that kind of way. Cause 
I know that if I have a really good breakfast, I'm going to have a really good lunch and eat well the rest of the day too. Perfect. What about you with the same question? Yeah. So again, being human, uh, no, no nutritional knowledge can, can kind of combat that lazy scatterbrained me. Um, and so the thing for me is being prepared and the, the mantra that I say to a lot of people, which I said to you was if you, you eat good food, if you've got good food in the fridge, in the cupboard, um, on the shelf, in the fruit bowl, um, is one that I live by. And that's probably one of my guiding principles and everything that I do, because just like everybody else, I am, I will eat that stuff if it's there and I'm feeling, you know, uh, that, that lazy scatterbrain tired me and, uh, I, I will just go and eat it. Whereas if there's instead there's an apple with, with some peanut butter or a bag of walnuts, I'll eat those too. So, mm. you know, it just kind of helps keep me on the right road too. Um, yeah, as nutritionists are human too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's been great hanging out and um, yeah, just really excited to get this book into people's hands and uh, all of that. Do you want to just give all the details of how they can find us and how they can find out more? Yeah. So obviously we have the Work Fuel podcast. This is our first episode. We have the Work Fuel website, which is workfuel.ninja. So www.workfuel.ninja, where we will be sharing some of the extracts from the book and some um, useful PDFs. And obviously please buy the book, you know, and it's on Amazon. It's also on Hive too. So you, th- this is where they, it will then be sourced from some local booksellers and uh yeah we would uh, love to hear from you i mean there's also an option to comment on this and give us your feedback too cool and we're we're told and we're hoping that it will be in all good bookshops as well so if you find a bookshop that it's not stocked in then go and order it from there because that tends to be the trigger that means they start ordering it in but we're, we're told it sh- you should be able to find it in any bookshop as well oh yeah of course <laughs> of course yeah you know the old-fashioned route <laughs> So yeah, please stop by workfuel.ninja and, and drop us some comments. There's also uh, the next phase of Workfuel that's going to be going on there. Um, so you'll see that as it evolves, which is bringing Workfuel to life into people's workplaces. And we're just starting our first few projects on that. So it's going to get even more interested, Graham. Certainly is. Yes, it's been great hanging out. And let's make this a bestseller and get it onto the bestseller lists as soon as we can. Well, that's definitely the goal. So that's it. Thanks again to Colette for being on the show, for being a great Beyond Busy guest and also a fabulous co-author and really excited for this book just getting out and about in the world. It's only been out a few days as I record this and um, already we've had some really good five-star reviews on Amazon. It's been trending on the Amazon charts and um, I also walked into Foyle's bookshop on the South Bank after... Uh, saying goodbye to my parents the other day when we went, I took them to see the curious incident of the dog in the night time in the theatre in London and then um, walked along the South Bank, walked into Foils and there is Work Fuel on the table, Mind and Body, uh, what was it? Mind and Body, bestsellers and new books. So I'm hoping we, we cover both, right? I'm hoping we're already a bestseller as well as being a new book. Um, but yeah, right there in the middle of the table as I walked into Foils on the South Bank, so that was nice. But really nice reactions from it. Uh, had some lovely Instagram things and some really nice tweets and stuff. People really getting stuck into it, making a lot of changes. So all I can say is if you're at all interested or your attention and interest has been piqued by what you've just heard, go and buy a copy of WorkFuel right now. It's on Amazon, it's on Hive, it's in bookshops, and we'd love you to get a copy 
change the way you think about your eating and you think about food and then drop us a line and tell us what you've done. So we're on a mission. We're really excited for the next phases of all this as well and um, hope you're going to really love it. So go and buy WorkFuel. I'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode of Beyond Busy. So until then, take care. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com.